Welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 38. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the 16th episode of season two, The Locket. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of The Locket. The episode opens on everyone waiting to hear from Aaron after recon she's been missing for a day. Starks come aboard with some information for Dargo. Aaron returns, but she's aged 160 cycles. She begs everyone to leave the mist they're hiding in and then knocks out Gianna to go back down to the planet beneath them. John follows and learns she was telling the truth, but by the time she convinces him to return to Moya, the mist closes and Dalton is stuck with her on a few lonely planets. Trapped out of time is our trope for this episode. And in Farscape style, they flip the expectations of who exactly is on the wrong side of this time stream. So for the first third of the episode, when Aaron returns from a recon flight, and she has aged 160 cycles, we think it's her that's on the wrong side of the time. But after John gets trapped, Zan and Stark figure out that it's really Moya who's trapped in this out of time mist that they are hiding from Scorpius in. And so it's one of those inversions that Farscape likes to do of really common tropes. And so that's the main A plot line of this episode is, is how do we get out of this mismatched time scenario? But really the, like the heart of this episode is really about all the relationships that we see going on because you have lots of strong John and Aaron interactions. You have kind of a turning point in Dargo and Shiana's relationship and you have Stark returned and with Zan, something kind of bubbling up in the subtext between them. Yeah, I think that Stark coming back is kind of interesting because apparently in the Bone to be Wild episode, there was this whole exposition that they cut that where they were like, oh, Stark is leaving and he's taking one of our pods and blah, blah, blah. But we didn't it didn't actually make it into the final cut of the episode. So there's this like hilarious, as you know, Bob conversation (laughs) that gets shoehorned into the beginning of the episode. And we've said multiple times that Farscape really likes to just plop you in the middle of a story and kind of let you figure your way out. And it's so funny here that they're like that they can they try and do it as much as possible. Like we don't see Aaron leave. We don't see right. them decide to go into the mist and we don't see them all worrying for her to come back. We're literally just at the point where they're in the command waiting for her to come back and then she comes back. But at the same time, Stark's presence is so random that they have to put some exposition in there. And the best way they know how to do it is like, oh, Zan, you were in you, you were meditating for two days <laughs> and now Stark's on board and he has a secret to tell you. It's pretty funny because it's yeah. just so I know that in the last episode, you said that the locket wasn't a favorite of yours. And I can, I think that I can kind of see why, like some of the writing is just really sloppy and not really up to Farscape standards. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I just love this episode so much. Yeah. And I, and I will say it was better than I remembered it, but some of the frustrations I have with this episode, which we'll get to as we go through it, are definitely still there. (laughs) 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 <laughs> I know. It's always so funny because I feel like the episodes that we we each 
don't like. We're always like, well, it was better than I remembered, but it still wasn't great. And I'm like, right. and and ironically, I can kind of see it from the other side because I was watching it with my husband and he mm-hmm. was like, he kept being like, well, this is bad writing. And like, he's like, why are they doing this? And I was like, okay, you can hush. I love this episode. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So it's like, I see what's going on. I see that it's like... Yeah, and I understand. It's like, my unholy love for Vetus Mortis is the same thing. <laughs> it is not one of their better episodes, but I still adore it. And I definitely understand why, on the other side, people don't like it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I guess this is my Vetus Mortis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think fandom panned this episode as hard as they did Vetus Mortis. No, so. no. And there is a lot of good stuff in it, too. Yeah. And I think that what I really, really love about this episode is that it's a what if. And it's Mm -hmm. a really interesting what if to me. And I think that the the way it turns out reveals so much about all the characters. And also, I just love this idea of Aaron and John getting to have a peaceful life because we know that in reality – they're always going to be chased by somebody. They're always going to be on the wrong side of somebody else's pulse cannon. And I just really enjoy the idea of them getting to live a happy, peaceful life on a farming mm-hmm. planet with Aaron being happy. And I yeah. think that like Aaron's happiness is what gets me here. Um, we'll kind of get into it a little later when when we're talking about the ending of this episode. But for a character who struggled so much for two seasons, for me, it was just really pleasant to be like, oh, she had three kids. She had a really happy marriage. She has a granddaughter who like is willing to pick up weapons to defend her. I'm like, I just Mm -hmm. like it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And see, for me, I don't dispute that it's a really cool what if, but how the relationship that ends up playing out between Aaron and John, there's just something that just bugs me about it. Like it's not, the way I would see them going. Mm. I don't know. I just found it really frustrating. And I found it frustrating when I first watched it. And I still found it frustrating this time around. So let's just jump right in mm-hmm. and get into all the nitty gritty. So the episode is a, is a in medias rest cold open. And I love that. And I just, I just love it. And I, there's lots of little touches that are really great about kind of like, this is another domestic kind of, we get to see the domestic side of the Moya crew. John's in command. He's kind of got his head down on the panel where he's waiting for Aaron staring at the screen. And Dargo comes in and gives him a glass of something to drink. And it's just like this very nice little, hey, I brought you some coffee kind of moment. And those little touches are just one of the the really nice things. And so as we mentioned, Stark is there and Zan has been meditating for two days and comes out of it early because she has a bad feeling and the boogie bat signals going off in her spiritual realm or something and then Aaron comes back and that's really is the beginning of the episode that's what drives the action is what has happened to Aaron and what is going on with this miss the storyteller in me really likes that they they just jump right to that point instead of wasting like 10 minutes on oh here's this mist what should we do about it so I I really appreciate that they just start stories with that Mm-hmm. And that's what they where they choose to begin it. Yeah. So Erin comes back and she's aged 160 cycles and she keeps saying, I've lived a full life. I have a, you know, I, I have a life down there. There's this moment right after 
you know, she's been revealed as being really, really old. And it's her, Zan, and John in the apothecary. And I want to play it. How long, how, how, how long have I been here? Not long, maybe an hour. An hour? Yes. The mist, the opening, it goes. I have to go back to the planet. My granddaughter's no, waiting for me. And it can't survive without my transport fudge. There's no other way off the planet. No, I... No! I only came back to warn you to get out of the mist as soon as possible while you still can. Aaron, Aaron, no. stop, stop it, stop it. You cannot have a family, a granddaughter. You've only been gone for one solar day. One day? Yes. Mm. Look, you're wearing the locket. The locket that Chiana gave you, the one that says, sorry, I smashed your prowler. Mm. The one she stole from the last commerce planet we were she on. She stole it? She yes. told me she bought it. Well, that's cheap. Look, if I've only been gone one solar day, then why am I so old? Why, why, why everything Aaron, I've lived, my memories, everything? Aaron, we don't know. We're trying to find that out. Maybe, maybe your mind created the memories to compensate for your body getting old. Look at you. I'd forgotten how beautiful you were. You're so young. I'd also forgotten how wrong you could be if I've only been away for one solar day. How did this locket here get so old? Aaron, it's an antique locket. I don't care what any of you say. I have lived for 165 cycles. I have had three sons and watched them die. And I have a granddaughter. Aristotle. Who will die if I don't get to her. There's, I don't know. I have a couple feelings about this this clip. And I think on the one hand, I'm like, I'm kind of mad at John for not believing her. On the other, I totally get why he doesn't believe her. And and then I also love that little bit where she's like, wait, she ought to told me that she bought it. Like, she remembers that after 160 cycles. And that's one thing that she pauses on. <laughs> yeah, I think that the disbelief of Aaron is something that drags this episode a little bit too much. Because mm-hmm. it just takes so long for anybody to believe her that I think it, I mean, I think they waste like 10 minutes or so, you know, on the, Aaron, you can't be old. I mean, clearly she's old. And Zan immediately like, Crichton's like, what happened to her? And Zan's like, well, she aged 167. <laughs> so I'm kind of like, I mean, is this any less believable than like anything else they've seen? I don't know. I think that's kind of what what drags the episode for me in this beginning part is mm-hmm. is that I'm like, come on, guys, like give Aaron some credit, you know? If there's literally yeah. no evidence of anything to the contrary, why not at least maintain the possibility? Yeah. But what I love there also is that clip where she's looking at John and she says, oh, I'd forgotten how beautiful you were because, I don't know, it just kind of speaks of a life lived and it also kind of speaks of these were the people that she held on to as somebody as people from her past, mm-hmm. which means that she moved on, which uh, we'll get into kind of how John deals with being out of time. But I think that Aaron here for me just really rings true. Mm-hmm. And then especially that and how wrong you could be, you know, like, <laughs> like I love that bit. Nothing is more Aaron than pointing out that John is wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like the reminiscing part of it, with you know, it's like for her, it's been so long that it's it's this memory that's held, and she's 
in the reality of his presence, all the details come flooding back. Mm-hmm. You know how memory softens thing. Like if you've been to a place when you were a child and then you go back as an adult, it's got that quality and everything's sharp and you see things that you don't remember that you, you forgot you had seen. So they're in the apothecary. And while they're in the apothecary, <laughs> Chiana and Rigel go and looking for presents, shall go, we say. Yeah, <laughs> they go looking in the module, not the module. They go looking in the transport, transport pod. pod and Dargo catches them. And there's a quote we didn't get because we get a better quote about it later. But essentially, this is who Chiana is. She is a person that will go with Rigel and go thieving. <laughs> right. Rifle through other people's belongings just to see if there's anything interesting. Because mm-hmm. that's what she's after. And I said presents earlier because it's like, Aaron went on a trip. And now Chiana wants to have a present back from that trip. Mm-hmm. You know? So, <laughs> just in, and so they're looking just in case that Aaron has anything of value that they might want. And I think this also speaks to Chiana's just generally curious nature. Like, she wants to know what's going on. She likes seeing new things. She likes things being exciting. Mm-hmm. And I think she likes the, you know, the what if thrill of pawing through other people's stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dargo catches her at it. And I think it's interesting because their interactions in this episode felt a lot more like from the Budong episode from Home on the Remains mm-hmm. than their relationship in Look at the Princess to me. Because in Look at the Princess, it really felt like these were both two characters that were just enjoying being with each other and here I think we kind of come back to the fundamental differences in their personalities because Darko's really judgy and he's essentially like this is beneath you yeah and yet I think that it's a very important thing that the show does to go back to their core personalities in this because I think it is true that there are fundamental differences between them and and look at the princess. I mean, they were kind of in their honeymoon period of let's have sex all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and I care about you a lot and we should want to make this work. And I, you know, they're very much enjoying each other, as you said, but also is, is very much in the physical realm. And here they're kind of pulling back a little bit more back into the, hey, if we're going to be together, we have to live together mm-hmm. and tolerate each other. And can we do that on a long term basis? And so the second quote that we pulled about it is in the transport pod, Dargo asked Gianna to go sit with Aaron, who has been sedated and is still in the apothecary. And he tells her, oh, you know, she might be dying. Someone needs to sit with her. And Gianna's a little offended that she's always told to go, you know, sit with dying people. I think that's a little bit of a holdover from Beware of Dog, mm-hmm. actually. But she does go, and then Dargo comes by later. So I'm going to play the quote, and this is where the two of them start to realize the differences between them. Gianna, I didn't want to embarrass you in front of Rachel on the transport pod, but... You can never embarrass me. Maybe not, but you're one of us now. There's no need for you to act like you're not. Dargo, I always do what I want, okay? I don't know why, it's just the way I am. I understand that, but... Yeah, but you're not gonna change me. I'm only just beginning to realize that. You're pretty straight. Huh? Yes, I am. We're not gonna make it. Are we? Ouch. Yeah. 
there's that realization that maybe what they have had is mostly physical, I think, on mm-hmm. Chiana's part. Because the you're not going to change me is something we've seen many, many times. We saw it in Taking the Stone. We saw it in Home on the Remains. This is a part of Chiana's character. She comes from a culture that forces people to change. It forces people to fit inside a box. And if you don't fit inside that box, they brainwash you until you fit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of what she's reacting against here is that her whole personality is, I will not be changed. Her terror when we meet her again in Durga Returns is the terror of somebody who's going to lose who she is. So I think that Dargo here kind of being judgy and him not really accepting that she is the type of person that's going to go looking for presents. She is the kind of person that has a lot more in common with Rigel than she does with Dargo, that he kind of sees it as like, well, if we're going to be together, I need you to be your best self. And she kind of sees it as, I already left a planet where people wanted to change me. I'm not going to put myself in a relationship with someone who wants to change me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the the writing of Chiana's character also speaks to a deeper truth. You know, people are the same way, and relationships with people kind of are the same way, too. Like, you can't actually change someone's fundamental character. You might think you can, and they might try to be better. You know, the only person who can change themselves is themselves, right? And forcing yourself to change for a relationship is not always a healthy thing. And I think we get to see that kind of play out through Chiana's character and her desire to be who she is. And she likes who she is, right? Mm -hmm. She doesn't feel the need to change because she is comfortable with herself. She doesn't hate herself. She likes who she is. She likes what she does. She likes, you know, doing what she wants when she wants to, as she said. And Dargo trying to force her away from that is, I think, not a healthy thing either for the relationship. And I think this is both of them kind of recognizing that that's actually what he's trying to do and that it might not work out for them because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that one of the other things that we didn't mention is when Dargo tells her, go look after Aaron, she kind of points out, she's like, why don't you go look after Aaron? Mm. Like, you're her friend. And he's like, just do it. And she's like, why are you always telling the women to go look after things? We've kind of talked about how Luxons are and that it is kind of like a hyper-masculine society where the first woman that he's into is like hyper-feminine. And even all of the subsequent women that he's into haven't really had that kind of authoritative, like even in even in Vetus Mortis, you know, it was super clear that she was like a priestess, you know, and so of, of really high social caste too, but still she submitted to him. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that that's like another thing going on is that in this episode, I think it isn't just that, oh, they just don't you know, work out. I think there is something really fundamental that is different about these two characters. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it adds a nice complexity to their relationship too, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like the main pairing of this show is John and Aaron who are the two leads. And then this isn't like a sop of, you know, oh, we're gonna take forever to get John and Aaron together, so here's a different relationship that you can have together in the meantime. No, it's actually a complex relationship on its own, you mm-hmm. know? And it's got a lot of these layers to it. And I think, like, you're talking about with the cultural layers on top of the personality layers, on top of, you know, they're in a really high-stress situations a lot of the time, and that can bring out the worst in people or the best in people. 
So it's I really like that it's a very rich, rich relationship between the two of them. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of rich relationships, we get another really good one because Aaron has after before the quote with Dargo and Chiana that we played, Aaron knocked out Chiana and <laughs> what because she has to get back down to the planet beneath them. So she goes to her, I don't know, you want to say her closest friend? Yeah. One of yeah, one of her best friends. Yeah, she goes to yeah, pilot. I, I, I could say closest, yeah. Yeah, because I, I think that she and John, don't get me wrong, she and John have a very, very close relationship. I don't know if I'd call them friends, though, because it's so much different than friendship. I think there's so much else in it. Yeah. Yeah, they have, they're well, they have a very different friendship because there's so much UST involved, and they both know it's involved right now, and they're trying to navigate that, mm-hmm. which makes it really hard to have a, a true confidant. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, because you can't say too much, because it might imply something about the sexual or relationship relationship, whereas with Pilot, Aaron has like a true platonic friendship that is, they can be themselves completely with each other about and talk about what they need to talk about mm-hmm. in a way that Aaron cannot with John at this stage. And of course, in this situation, John is also slightly disbelieving of her circumstances, which doesn't help things. Yeah. Aaron, what happened to you? I lived, Pilot. If you don't believe me, you still must convince the others to stay out of the mist. Glad I got a chance to see you one last time, my friend. What do you mean? I'll see you again? No, you won't. Goodbye. Yeah, so she goes and visits Pilot, trying to convince him of her message that, that John Dogger and Zan don't believe. It's also just to see him. Like she, she wants to see him and say hello and get to say goodbye to him. Like she didn't have a chance to do before. And they're just so gentle with each other. And I just love, I love their relationship. And you can see the depth of their care and their expressions on their faces, especially Aaron's and Claudia Black's expressions. But even the puppetry with Pilot is just like he's worried about her. He's worried about what happened to her, and. He's sad and upset a little bit that she wants to leave again. But in the end, he doesn't stop her. You know, he respects her enough to let her do what she needs to do. Yeah, I like that word that you use, gentleness, because Mm -hmm. I think that that is just such a big part of how Pilot and Aaron interact with each other is just them being able to be gentle with somebody else. Because I feel like there's so much that goes on in their relationship with the other characters that having a friendship where they can just be sympathetic and where they there's not like anything else tied up in it with, for for them because they have gone through so much and because they do have this past i don't know that scene just it really gets me because i think it f- speaks to the fundamental friendship that they have with each other yeah. where even after 160 cycles she still feels this way about pilot yeah, and she still wants to come visit him specifically. I mean, she could have had that conversation over the comms. She might not have had her own, but she could have stolen Shiana's or something like that. So Aaron goes back down to the planet, and Pilot doesn't stop her. And Dargo and John especially are very upset about this because they care about her. She's already aged. They think she's sick or dying or something weird's going on, and they want her where they can see her. 
But she goes back down to the transport pod. So John's like, okay, I'm going after her. And he goes after her. Mm -hmm. And down on the planet is where he tries to help Aaron after she stumbled. And then someone else is shooting at him. And it turns out to be Aaron's granddaughter. And there's this kind of this mutual moment of her granddaughter, whose name is Enos, I think. Yeah. Enos, Ennis, something like that. But anyway, her granddaughter, who Aaron has told stories about Moya and John Crichton. And so her family had thought she was kind of this crazy old woman who was making all this stuff up. But here's John Crichton in the flesh. And John, at the same time, is like, wow, this is a granddaughter. This is an actual person with a gun shooting at me. And Aaron was telling the truth about things. So there's kind of this mutual acknowledgement that they're both telling the truth. Both Aaron about her past from her granddaughter's perspective and Aaron about her family from John's perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's actually what I was talking about when it came to sloppy writing because kind of his dialogue with the granddaughter is a lot of like, oh my gosh, she wasn't lying. She wasn't lying. No, everybody thought she was... And I'm like, come on, guys. Like This is really clunky. And John has literally been saying, you know, the same dialogue for 10 minutes now at this point. Mm-hmm. Of him being like, you can't have a family. And then he sees the granddaughter and he's like, she can't have a family. She's only been gone a day. I'm like, you literally have been saying she's only been gone a day. Like, you've said it at least five times at this point. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that, okay, reality-wise, like, if Farscape was a real thing that was going on, I could say that happening. Because people, too, tend to repeat themselves. Right. Especially in the face of the unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, you know, completely believable. But at the same time, I'm like, as something you are watching for television, I am kind of like, come on, think of like a different thing for him to say other than, but she's only been gone for one solar day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So they, she, Aaron convinces John to go back up to the ship and she says come back in eight arms i'll be here and then we can talk then but the the mist is closing so john gets in his module and he's rushing back up and everybody's screaming at him like you won't make it you won't make it and then he doesn't make it so he is now stuck on the planet and the planet that they are landed on where the mist is near is barren planet it's like acidic and windy and all rock and it's like another planet in the system that Aaron lived on with her family and where the people live. And one thing I noticed that I didn't think was clear from my memory of this episode before, is like the mist disappears when John is flying towards it, when it closes, like the whole mist thing goes away and it's like not even accessible to the people on the planet anymore, mm-hmm. which it's supposed to be like this. We'll get to the more details of it later, but this kind of like, interdimensional convergence of something 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 magic mm-hmm. and i just thought it was interesting that it just completely disappears it's not like a hole that that aaron was describing at first it's just gone mm-hmm. which actually makes it make more sense in a certain way because they can see the mist with their eyes so it kind of does make sense that everybody's like oh grandma must be crazy because she keeps talking about this mist and there's clearly no mist there and yeah so anyway john returns to the planet where aaron has been living for 160 cycles and then we get kind of well let's just go into john and aaron's story to start with Mm -hmm. and he's stuck there and we get some intercuts between their story and we see these time jumps with what's happening back on moya but he is really not happy being stuck on the planet like Mm -hmm. 
it completely derails all the plans that he had for life and returning to Earth and, and everything. I want to play a conversation that Erin has with her granddaughter while she is planting this plant that she originally got from Zan way back on Moya that she brought with her, talking about how John is basically not coping. What happened to him, Nana? Oh, Crichton. He was happy for a few cycles there, too. Something must have reminded him, thank you, of his past. I still think about it sometimes, Moya. You've never been as sad as him. Well, perhaps I hide it better. <sighs> Will he ever be over it? I've done all I can. We took him from the barren planet, showed him our favoured world. I know, you've tried. We've all tried, but Crichton was always stubborn. Why are those from the outside always so unhappy? Because we weren't born here. This is your home, not ours. Give Crichton a few more cycles, he'll come around. I like that quote because it's it's getting at, like, Aaron's experience, too. Her granddaughter says, you know, you didn't have trouble adjusting. Well, you're, you're the granddaughter. You weren't around for a lot of the time when Aaron was adjusting, mm-hmm. you know? And there's a whole relationship with the grandfather who we never meet or hear about much about and then the sons. And Aaron's like, I might have hide it hid it better. But of course at that by that point she's probably pretty good at hiding it. And so it's like this really nice empathy between of Aaron for John and his situation because, you know, she knows what he's going through. She went through it too. I kind of want that. I don't know if anyone ever wrote the fic for it, but you know, what was Aaron's early years on that planet like? How was she responding? How did she get through it? Because she was, you know, Aaron's a violent individual when she's upset. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's just like, how did she cope in those early years? Mm-hmm. And this is super clearly just a very small settlement, mostly farmers. Yeah. And you do get the feeling that there is some interplanetary travel. But I kind of... This was actually a question I had because they mention, you know, going between planets, but then they don't really mention going beyond their particular star system. Yeah. So it makes me wonder if it actually is just like a bubble of just these few planets or if the outside is so far away, if essentially like it's our solar system where Mm -hmm. you could probably, I mean, I'm sure the module, I'm sure in a Farscape module could get between let's say earth and mars but there's no way that they could get beyond our solar system to the next closest system yeah that's kind of how i feel about it because if this if if this system was initially populated by people who got stuck in the mist and then went down to the planets and they still had their transport pods or whatever in aaron's case the transport pod and so slowly there's this kind of accumulation of people that have become the base population so it's a very small population and they're all in short-range ships mm-hmm. like if none of them brought a long-range ship they don't have hetch drives to do interstellar distances that you know faster than light travel essentially and so they're stuck as you said in our solar system i think that's right cuz that makes the most sense to me and that would still give them familiarity with, you know, planets and being in space and flying ships and whatnot, but they don't have the technology available and probably not the resources to build more ships. Mm -hmm. Because maybe it's just a very very metal-poor place that they're on. Mm -hmm. And I think that from a television perspective, you're right. 
I, I wish we had gotten Aaron's years on these planets because I think the next closest TV relative to this episode would be the Star Trek episode. I think it's called the inner light and mm-hmm. it's the one where Picard gets hit by this like beam of light and then he flashes back and it turns and he lives this entire life on a planet and he keeps trying to tell people I'm a starship captain. And everybody's like, you're crazy. We've known you your whole life, you know? Yeah. And he lives his entire life on a dying planet or on a planet where I think the planet's dying or the sun is dying. And, and eventually they build this rocket and then they send the rocket out into space to tell their story because none of them are going to make it. And then that rocket is what hit Picard. Yeah. Yeah. I love that episode. Oh, it's so good. But I think that what that episode does really well is like the whole episode is really about Picard living his life on the planet. Yeah, it's his journey and mm-hmm. his transformation. And we we get a little bit that of that with John, and I think because he's the main character of the show, that's why they chose to do it that way, but it would have been really interesting to see it from Aaron's perspective. Mhm. Yeah. Or even to really see it from John's perspective because so much of what we do see of John is from Aaron's perspective, yeah. which is a really odd way of telling the story. I'll be honest. Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, even here, she's like, oh, well, he was happy, but we don't see any of those happy years. And then she's like, oh, it is hard for him. So it's like Aaron kind of telling it. So what Mm -hmm. I enjoy about the world building is more like the idea of at this point, it's got to have been like 10, 15 years from when he first came through, you know, and kind of like that's what I enjoy is the idea of them being farmers and then planting this forest. And yeah. Yeah, and we also get a glimpse of of Scorpius while John is there and his hallucinations, as uh, Ines calls them when she comes to talk with him. Mm -hmm. So we get those little glimpses. But yeah, you're right. It would have been nice to see John's transformation as well. And it makes me wonder what they decided was the focus of the episode, because clearly the living on the planet part and having this alternate peaceful what-if life is not the focus of the episode. And I don't know if it was intended to be or not, but... You would think it would have been if they were more concerned with the what if as opposed to the time trappy thing with the mist. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because this, it kind of feels like the flax in a certain way where it's kind of like the, except I think the flax was more interesting for me. I I really enjoyed the flax, but it has Mm -hmm. that same kind of feel of like, oh, there's this major thing and it's hardening and they have to figure out how to get out. And that's what they did choose to focus on is like, how do they get out rather than, rather than what's more interesting to me, which is the, the what if of this alternate lifetime. In the flax though, they have the obstacles to getting back you know, there's like the environmental controls are shot. We have to fix the environmental controls. Okay, so we need to not have a fire hazard. We need to get in a spacesuit. Okay, there's a problem with that. So they have these series of obstacles that drive the tension mm-hmm. of the plot. Whereas here, Zan and Stark figure out what's going on pretty quickly. And so the obstacles are more that they're just waiting around for the the, the mist to open again for Aaron and John to make contact again so they can come back and then go from there. So it's a different structure to the story as well. Mm -hmm. So we get another scene from John and Aaron on the planet. And I want to play it because I think one, Ben Browder does a really good job with this scene. And apparently as John ages, he gets to become more Southern. (laughs) 
<laughs> Can I say that really actually kind of bothered me? <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind of it kind of reminded me so much of like the My Three Crichtons thing where I'm like, yeah. why is the smarter one more Southern? And then I'm like, I mean, not like I'm not saying, you know, that I, I'm just saying it just it was like a little weird that like that was how they chose to be like, well, this one is different. Look, he talks really Southern and the like. Yeah. And now John is old and now he talks really Southern. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I understand that John is supposed to be Southern, mm-hmm. but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's just why does your accent change so aggressively over the course of your lifetime when you are not spending more time with people with that accent, as a, instead you're spending less time with people of that accent? Yeah, exactly. Here's the first quote. How's your knee? Oh, it's fine. Just chasing beautiful women up and down the hills. Uh-huh. Well... Why don't you come and sit down here, old man, or you'll give yourself a heart attack. Don't, don't, don't you old man me, woman. You're 200 cycles older than I am. <laughs> oh. Enix and that sleeping pill she married ever, right? He's not that bad. He's boring. Just like everything else around here, boring. Well, I warned you. I tried to make you go back. I know you did. John, I gave up being who I was, what I was, a hundred cycles ago. Why haven't you? Because I ain't a gardener. I never wanted to be one. That's all we do around here. Garden. Plant things. I was a pilot, Aaron. Astronaut. I was what I wanted to be. I ain't going to forget that, and I can't accept this. Do you regret this? What? Spending the last 55 cycles here with me. Aaron, you are the one thing which has kept me from doing a kamikaze in the transport. The first thing I really do like about seeing the two of them interact as their older selves is just the familiarity between them. It's like, oh, come sit down, old man. We're going to have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just love those little exchanges that they have. And he's like saying he's chasing beautiful women up and down hills all day. <laughs> but we get to kind of the heart of John's discontent. And I think also to Aaron's discontent as well. I mean, she says she's let it go. But I think that's where she was as well, where this is not the life he wanted. He doesn't want a boring life. He doesn't want to sit around and garden. He wants to go fly and explore and have an excitement and adventures. And even though his wife on Moya is a little bit too exciting sometimes, it's still more of what he chose than being forced into this forced retirement, essentially. Mm-hmm. I think that Aaron actually is pretty content because, like I said, I think that she's – and they kind of get at it later. She's somebody who's lost the entire life that she had. She lost being a peacekeeper. And now she's running from the peacekeepers. And I think that her life has kind of been this life that she's had to build for herself. So I actually really, I really like the idea that maybe she is happy here because Mm -hmm. this is a life that she built with her own two hands. It reminds me of Friday back in, or thank God it's Friday again, Mm -hmm. where Dargo gets to like slip into this life of happiness and then Zan and then at the end obviously it's taken away because it wasn't what he thought it was and then Zan kind of goes 
no, you know, you'll get that again, but you just have to build it with your own two hands. And that's kind of what I feel like Erin did here was she didn't have a, she didn't have anything other than John and her friends on Moya really keeping her in the uncharted territories in that universe. So being Mm -hmm. able to come here where no one cares that she was a peacekeeper. No one cares that she used to kill people or that she killed, you know, Miss Pilot or that she's connected to John Crichton. She gets to reinvent herself. So I really like this idea of her kind of being like, why can't you just be happy? (laughs) Yeah. No, I like that. I like the way you interpret it. And I think at this point in in their lives that she is content and happy, I guess my point is more of like, I feel like she had to go through this process of grieving for her old life too, mm-hmm. that we see John still going through and maybe he can't let it go as, as she did for different reasons. But yeah, I really like your idea of, of mirroring Dargo's quest to, to have something to build on their own and that makes something for themselves out of a bad situation that they can really be proud of. After they have that conversation, and the other thing I really love, I don't know why, I think because it's such a great insult, is where he's like, and isn't that sleeping pill she married? (laughs) I like that too. That's such a great insult. And I think it kind of also says what kind of guy John was. Like, I'm sure he was such a rabble rouser on this very sedate community. Yeah. It feels kind of like this is like some sort of gated, you know, like, older than 50 community living situation (laughs) and john is like the one that comes in and is like rabble rousing and shit talking yeah Yeah. (gasps) oh man so that quote continues and i want to play it whose uh image you got in here anyway you know who's in there your husband he's been dead 90 cycles why would you have his image in there just to drive you crazy you know what I think? I don't think it's him in there. I think you got my picture. Don't flatter yourself. Yeah. Yeah, my picture. Surrounded by roses and hearts and yachts. Open it, then. Take a look inside. You'll see his image. The only love of my life. No, I don't want to see his ugly face. I, I mean, I love Aaron's like, don't flatter yourself. And he's just giving her a hard time about wanting to see who, whose her face is in there. But then he doesn't know. And she's like, gives him the chance to look. But he's he doesn't want to know. And I think that's like the hesitance, like he doesn't want to be wrong. He wants to still have the Schrodinger's cat possibility that it could be him in there. I think this conversation is really at the crux of what bugs the hell out of me with this episode. So it's a very romantic episode. Like Aaron and John are growing old together, literally growing old on this planet. And they still haven't talked to each other about their feelings for each other. Come (laughs) on. And it's just like, it just pisses me off because they still are like, they're not together that is, it's not explicit that they're together. Maybe they are, but it's never made explicit that they are. And Aaron still hasn't shown him the man in her lock, whose face she has in her locket. He thinks it's him, but he doesn't know it's him. So it could be like yes or no. So it feels still feels like this push me pull you. 
kind of thing going on between mm-hmm. them and like it's still riddled with ust instead of oh my god you've been together for 50 years at this point <laughs> why have you not talked to each other about this and that's really where my frustration with this episode stems from yeah <laughs> get your act together people <laughs> well okay and i can see that i'll be honest like i can definitely see that i think that i think that there's a more sympathetic view you could take of this conversation, which is kind of the one I do, which is that they've lived together for 50 years. They're clearly living together. Ennis and her husband are clearly coming to visit grandma and grandma's cranky old lover, (laughs) you know, like, and so I think that maybe they weren't physical for a really long time because Aaron is 160 and she looks it. Mm -hmm. And John is pretty young when he first comes through. But at the same time, I can't imagine that if they're together and they've been living together, that they haven't been intimate with each other and that they haven't, even if it isn't like sexual intimacy, that they aren't sleeping in the same bed. Like that doesn't make any sense to me that they wouldn't, that they wouldn't have dealt with it. And I think what he's, I think that the way I interpreted it was Erin has had this life and she had this love and now John and she are together, but she's telling him, hey, the guy in this locket is the one true love of my life. Mm-hmm. And so John is already interpreting that as there are one of two options. So if if yeah. she and John weren't together, then he would be like, oh, well, it must be your husband. And she's yeah. kind of like, you know, and then, but instead he's like, no, there's two, there's him or her husband, which to me yeah. indicates that she and John are together. Yeah. I think what I didn't care for is the use of the one love of my life. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm kind of like, no. <laughs> you could have more than one. Yeah, you can have more than one. And I refuse to believe, I, I flat out refuse to believe that Aaron Soon, the radiant Aaron Soon, settled. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I have to believe her husband, like, swept her off her feet and was, like, a yeah. really great guy. And she loved. And that's kind yeah. of what gets me is I'm like, mm, I think I would have liked it better if, you know, they hadn't used that, like, the one love of my life. And I'm like, ugh, God, no. But right, I don't know. I do, like, for some reason, though, like, yeah, I, I don't care for that. But I do like this idea of John and her giving each other shit about it. <laughs> yeah. I really like your interpretation of it. I guess I think I would have... I would have liked it being more explicit about yeah. that, but at the same time, I really do like your interpretation of it. That yeah, they have basically have gotten married, and live together, and are just you know living together and loving each other through this period that they've gone through. But I guess the implication that John doesn't know, and later when he does open the locket back on Moya when he and Aaron go back and finds out, and it's just like, I don't know, it's just. I still find it a little bit like, why did you tell the story that way? Yeah. You know? But yeah. that's okay. I know. Well, especially because we're, what, two episodes out from Look at the Princess? And I'm like, you guys yeah. made it pretty clear in that episode that you have a thing for each other. So, I don't know. Yeah. So, Well, if you think about the series storytelling, because John and Aaron's on-screen relationship in season two is still in that early stage, mm-hmm. thematically, it makes sense for the for the future selves to kind of be holding back on the confirmation that, yes, they're boating like bunnies and happily married and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? Because that keeps the feeling of the locket as an episode within season two of 
hey, are they, aren't they kind mm-hmm. of tension going on, even if the writer's headcanons and our headcanons are like, oh, yeah, they're they're practically married. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like, come on, guys. Come on. For real. So Aaron and John finally have lived out the 55 cycles and the mist is opening again so they go back up Aaron has a really touching scene with her granddaughter where essentially she says I have to die in space and it kind of feels like it feels like the last vestiges of her old personality Mm -hmm. kind of like a like a you know house cat that has to go off on its own to die you know yeah (laughs) even though it's lived its entire life in a house (laughs) (laughs) by the time they get up to the ship though Aaron has passed away because at this point she's probably like 250 I was guessing something like that because she's like a hundred she's lived 160 cycles down on the planet and I have to believe she's at least in her 30s or 40s or maybe even a little older since peacekeepers age longer yeah Yeah. but you know when she goes into the mist and then it's another 50 years on 55 years on top of it and so John and she had been thinking that if They get out of the mist at the exact point they entered it, which doesn't make any sense to me, but just go with it. (laughs) It's Farscape magic. Farscape magic (laughs) that they will be able to get out. And and they're like, well, we have to do reverse starburst and pilot. And this is the funny part to me is pilots literally like, no, Moya's not built for that. We're not going to do that. (laughs) And then they have this conversation that I want to play because it's hilarious. I'm like, pilot literally just told you, no, why is this even a conversation anymore? (laughs) Is that what you want? You want that? You want to live your life on that planet? A place where you never see anyone you know ever again. I have done that. And let me assure you, whatever the risk, It is worth getting your life back. I'm with John. I do not want to live a life without a past. I want to see my son again. Me too. I never wanted to go into the mist anyway. I guess I'm in agreement as well. Goddess be with us all. Pilot, start initiating a sequence for reverse starburst. John. Yeah. So, you know, I think the theme of the episode comes out here and it's like, how do you want to live your live your life? Do you want to to do the passive thing, land on a planet where you're going to survive, but you're going to be, if you're John, bored to death and have no hope of ever seeing anyone ever again or take the risk and do the reverse starburst and get out of there? And that's his experience coming out to the forefront again and the others agreeing with him because they all have unfinished business. You know, they're all in their own way trying to go home. And Rigel wants to go back to Hyneria and reclaim his throne. Dargo clearly wants to go find his son again. And Chiana, as we know, is not suited for boredom. (laughs) And Zan's feeling the same way. I mean, she's got her own thing going on. She may or may not want to go back to Delvia, but if all of them, she's probably the most likely one to make it work down the planet but it's not a choice the same way it would be in other circumstances Mm -hmm. 
And I think that that also, this scene actually really crystallized for me why Aaron did make it on the planet. And it's Dargo's like, I don't want to live without a past because mm-hmm. he has things to go back to. He has his family. He has his son. And Aaron doesn't have any of that. So Aaron essentially was allowed to live without a past. And that's why I really like the idea of it, because it was her getting a clean slate, like a real clean slate. Yeah. Not like a clean slate like she might get on Farscape, where she'd survive for a couple of arms on her own, and then Scorpius would track her down looking for John. (laughs) Or then somebody that the peacekeepers had murdered, like the family of somebody the peacekeepers had murdered, would come after her. Yeah. Yeah. And as we know from the way we work, the episode where we do learn a lot of Aaron's backstory, her past is quite painful. And being a peacekeeper was no joke and was difficult at times. And there's a lot of self-deception and self, I don't know, brainwashing yourself into accepting what you have to do on behalf of the peacekeepers. But she was a peacekeeper. And so now that she's out of that system and has to live with who she was back then, having that chance to be have a clean slate and not have people judge her or prejudge her for being a peacekeeper must have been really refreshing in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So, earlier in the episode, Zan and Stark had shared unity, but it wasn't really unity because Stark was leading it, and it was kind of, he made like a- a lot of subtext. Okay, (laughs) he made like a serious, like, oh, face, like- (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, we haven't really talked about Zan and Stark that much yet this episode, but- this is, I think, the beginning of, of Zan and Stark really coming to care for each other on a lot of different levels. Like, they always had that kind of spiritual connection with with what, what the episode, one or two episodes that they had, or a few scenes that they had at the end of season one before Stark left. But here, the subtext is very clear that Zan likes Stark, and Stark likes Zan, and he's got some ideas. You want to ha- come figure this out with me? And they're very much coming into a partnership as spiritual beings and work figuring out what's going on with the mist and what it is and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cute. Yeah, it is. And it kind of, I think that Stark is a character who could very easily have fallen into like this box of like, oh, he's the crazy prisoner guy. He's the crazy ex-Bannock slave or he's a crazy Bannock ex-slave. And I think that, yeah, him and Zan getting together really makes sense for me also because they're both they're both spiritual and the last person we kind of saw her be spiritual with was in the episode where she tortured the bird the first episode with that old black magic Mm -hmm. where she and that other spiritual leader really got together quickly because i think they spoke the same language yeah and i think that's a very important aspect of anyone that zan is with because delvians are so connected to each other mentally like unity is one way that they have sex right Mm -hmm. you know she was sharing unity with her lover when she murdered him back on delvia that was her crime and she can't really have a true relationship i think with another being without that spiritual component Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's something that's just very central to who she is and her people and how they function and her as a priest as well and having somebody be able to understand that part of her that's what she finds in stark who is partially energy he's very spiritual in his own way he can share memories and she can mentally and so they have that that connection there Mm -hmm. so 
They share unity earlier in the episode, and they realize that they're in this thing called a center halo, which is a meeting of multiple dimensions. And apparently time doesn't exist there. And so that Moya is now stuck. And that means that Moya will be frozen in time, essentially. But apparently everybody will be conscious and they'll just be stuck there forever. Yes, which is exactly right. They're basically, I feel like they're kind of in Groundhog Day, except it's the rest of the outs. Maybe not Groundhog Day. I take that back. Scratch that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but there. Okay, there was an episode of Stargate that was the Groundhog Day episode where, yeah, window of opportunity. Yeah, where they all get you know where essentially it's like they're all stuck in the same time over and over and over and over again, but the rest of the universe like goes on. Yeah, and that's I think what's going on here. Yeah. So yes, yeah, like outside of Moya, everything's running, but inside they have their like their own little cos microcosm of time moves forward because they have memories and stuff, and they're not repeating the same day. But in space, it could be the same day. We just don't know because they're all sharing at the same time. Yeah. All right, that was a really complicated explanation. I know. Well, it's kind of like a hand wavy <laughs> thing. <laughs> so then they do this like reverse starburst and Moya starts getting stuck and everybody gets frozen and they can't do the starburst and then Xan and Stark share unity again and they manage to free John from hand wave, hand wave, hand wave. So John is the only one that's alive and John runs to command and he initiates starburst and Moya does a backward starburst. Yes. Yeah, and that's like we're condensing very quickly the main like plot conceit of the episode. And then they get out of the mist and we have our like ending scenes, which were actually pretty wonderful because it shows them as a crew and trusting each other as a crew. So we're back to the point where they have just arrived at the mist and Aaron is on board and she is about to go do the recon mission. Everyone has reground to that point except for Zan and Stark, who both wake up, realize, oh crap, we've got to go stop us from going into the mist because we're starting that sequence of events that leads them to being trapped in the first place. Mm-hmm. And what I love about it is everyone's made a decision. Chiana's registered her her doubt about going into the mist. And then Zan comes in and says, don't go into the mist. And like that, there's like no discussion about it. John's just like, okay, we don't have to go in the mist. You feel feel that strongly about it, you know? Like he trusts Zan, even though he doesn't quite understand what's going on. And it reminded me of those moments in Picture of You Will, the second Maldus episode, where there's just like, trust Zan. She's going to tell you to do something and you do it without question. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. Yeah, it's good. So... Everything is good. John and Aaron are young again. Jargo and Chiana do not remember that they kind of broke up. So they're still together, <laughs> <laughs> which is a little bit awkward as viewers because it's, right. like, it's like now you know that like the train track ends, but the train is still hurtling towards it. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. and then John and Aaron open up the locket because Aaron's like, oh, it's weird. The locket is fused shut and they open it up and they shake it out and it's just dust because Mm -hmm. john had opened the locket in the in the center halo john had opened the locket and he'd seen his own picture yeah and what's kind of neat about that scene is john opens it with hey do you ever have this feeling like Mm -hmm. he's got some sort of residual deja vu feeling about the whole experience they've just gone through he doesn't know what it is but he feels like something's happened with aaron and she's like 
they're kind of flirty when they're going through that. It's like, yeah, I think we would have remembered if something happened. But then they look at each other afterwards, and that's where it ends. And it's just this kind of like the audience knows what's passed between them. They know that Aaron loves John in the Locket universe mm-hmm. where the with the planet and everything. And it's just this kind of really great, you know where it's going now. It's like a declaration of intent kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a really nice note to end the episode on. It's like the opposite of the Chiana Dargo thing, where Chiana Dargo <laughs> yeah. were like, ooh, now there's an end ending. And with Aaron and John, we're like, oh, now there's like a good ending. <laughs> right. Hope. Yeah. Which I mean, okay, come on. Like, even if you're watching for the first time, is there any real doubt in your mind that they're going to get together? Do you know what I mean? No. There's just lots of impatience. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. uh, oh, in Wardrobe Watch, Zan is wearing like this metal sweater thing. Yeah, it's like a cardigan-y, not quite a cardigan, but like a shawl yeah. kind of thing. Except a little bit more structured than a shawl. Mm-hmm. It's kind of nice. It's uh, kind of a silvery white, and so it sets off the blue of her of her robes beneath very nicely. Mm-hmm. And is this the first episode we have of Aaron's new ponytail? I can't remember. Viewers, if you are watching along with us, let us know. <laughs> yeah. Because she's got it, her hair is very tightly slicked back at, at, when she's young in this episode, mm-hmm. and then of course we have old John and we have old Aaron. Yeah, and I'll point this out: the makeup on old Aaron, really, really, really good. Makeup on old John, I could definitely leave that one. They could have done better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what would you give this episode? I really like this episode. I give it a four, mostly because of, <laughs> mostly because of like the fan fiction I'm writing in my head as I'm watching it. <laughs> You know, <laughs> write it. I know, right? Oh my gosh, I just yeah, want like a ten. I, I want like a hundred thousand word story of Aaron surviving down on the planets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I give it a three, three and a half. Like it's definitely better than I remember it being, and my frustration with it was, a, I think, a lot less than the first time I watched it. And granted, I'm like fifteen years older, also, and you know. So there's some perspective there. <laughs> but yeah, it's a fairly solid episode. It's got some really awesome character stuff. So next week, we are going to be listening to The Ugly Truth. Ooh. I know. I Yeah. I, uh, no spoilers, but uh, I really like this episode. Definitely watch yeah. it. Watch it if you get a chance. Because the acting is impeccable. The And that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to save it for the review. <laughs> But definitely watch yeah. it because like so much of so much of that episode depends on visuals. Yeah, that's definitely true. So we are Farscape Friday podcast. We are on Tumblr. We are on DreamWith and we are at gmail.com if you want to get in touch. We are also Farscape Friday at Twitter and we are on iTunes. So if you listen to us on iTunes, please give us a rating so that we can be found by other folks and we will see you next week. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.